0: You are now entering the mind of one of rock's greatest musicians, a former singer of Styx. The exclusive podcast, Come Sail Away, with with Dennis DeYoung. Come sail away, come sail away, come sail away with me. Hey kids, good to have you back. Today I want to talk to you about the myriad, and I mean myriad, of bands that Styx supported or special guest. Really, what it was in those days was you were, the, you were the warm-up act or the opening act. We've played with so many different bands over the years before we actually became what you would call headline status. You know, the big cats up there with the big lights and their own PA and doing what the heck they wanted. But that didn't really happen to us on a consistent basis to middle to late 1977. But uh, by 1978, for the most part, we were that headlining band. And that continued really from the end of 77, 8, 9, 80, 81, 82, and 83. It was great. Had a great time. But I'm going to try to recall some of the memories from some of these bands we played. And some of the people that I'm going to name, you're going to just go, Ah, Because that's, that's what I thought when we were doing it. Okay, so let's see. I made a list here. And I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch because we, we backed up so many so many bands. We were always the bridesmaids, never the bride. So anyway. Let's start at the top. Are you ready for this? Stevie Wonder. Huh? Yeah. Johnny Winter. ZZ Top. Journey Before Steve Perry. Aerosmith. Bob Seger. Peter Frampton during the Frampton Comes Alive Hysteria. Kiss. David Bowie, which I think I've talked about. Genesis with Peter Gabriel. Frank Zappa. You ready? Are you sitting? Bebop Deluxe. Bebop Deluxe. That's what I said. Straub's. Straubs, yeah. Bachman Turner Overdrive. Ario before Kevin Cronin, when a guy named I think a guy named Murphy, and he were like kind of a boogie band in those days. Queen, Kansas, Boston, Robin Trower, Roxy Music, Doobie Brothers, Joe Cocker, Rush, Black Oak, Arkansas, Brownsville Station. That's just a that's off the top of my head. I guess if I went back and really looked, which I'm way too lazy to do. These are some of the things. Let me just tell you about Stevie Wonder. I know, right? So uh, we were like, it was like I want to say seventy three, seventy four. We were still in our in the height of the glam period for us, and we got put on a show down in uh, Normal, Illinois, which is a university sit, uh, town here in in Illinois. And um, we went down there and played with Stevie. Now I don't think anybody in the in the in the Wonder organization nor the audience could have been prepared for what we were going to do. But we went down there and we looked around and we thought, uh-uh, this could be trouble. So here we come out on, in front of the audience, which was overwhelmingly an African-American audience. There were white kids in the audience, but overwhelming. And they weren't kids. A lot of these people were older people come to see the great Stevie Wonder. It was right around the time of uh, Superstitious. So he was, you know, he was really a, a, a big thing. And the place was packed. So we're looking at each other and we go out there and here come the the, the four white kids uh, playing this kind of, I don't know, proggy mix of proggy and hard rock music. And we're up there, and we're playing, and the audience is sitting very nicely and politely through the whole thing, trying to figure out what we were doing there. Well, it got so bad that I, do, I did something I never did. I mean, ever since we became like a, 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 an official rock and roll recording artist, I'd never go into the audience. But I came off the stage because I was so desperate, and I used to do this kind of like preachy rap rap thing that was almost like a Baptist minister. Can you imagine me doing this in front of this audience? Never did I think that would happen. So I'm out there, I'm running down, and I'm going from person to person with my microphone and saying, come on, let's go, let's go. What a mook. Anyway, that was the Stevie Wonder thing. We um, we managed to survive it, and, and the audience was remarkably polite considering what we were doing. And I remember standing in the back of the... Um, of the, of the arena, and watching him do super superstitious, and it was uh, awesome. Okay, another story. Um, we were there the fateful night at Aerosmith in Philadelphia. We were backing up. We were the opening act, and we were just killer. We were ready. We, we were primed and ready to go. We were ready for the big time, and, and nobody in Philadelphia even knew who we were. I think it was the first time we ever played there, and we were just awesome the crowd would at the beginning were like going Aerosmith Aerosmith boogie which is everyone they shouted this no matter who you were in the everyone would yell boogie can you imagine and um, and so we went out and Aerosmith admittedly as they've said they were in the throes of uh, a, a pretty big drug, drug situation and they came on stage and they were either drunk or something it was just not very good people were booing and throwing throwing things at them and we were sitting behind they didn't sell behind the stage at the forum forum no wait a minute spectrum at the spectrum we were sitting behind the stage and that's the night that somebody threw the m80 on stage and injured steven tyler we were there at the at the the time when that happened okay what else let's look i remember a seager story great uh bob had kicked around in the midwest for a really long time and we were on an outdoor show it was really hot and um we got to play in front of seager so did a lot of other bands who really did not to deserve it, because Seeger was great as a live performer. And I remember, before we were getting going on, he had just came off in front of us, and he was sitting there, and it was like, it was it was like a grassy little knoll, and he was, he had just sweat up a storm, pouring his heart out, and he was sitting there with his head in his hands, probably asking himself, why are these mooks, you know, why am I playing in front of these people? And, and the answer was, life's not fair. But he got to the top, and we ended up uh, backing up him later on, we were um, we played with Kiss a bunch. There's a lot of Kiss stories, but essentially, in, in a nutshell, of all the people we played with uh, when we were really good in '76 and '77, before we became headliners, a um, Kiss feared no man. Their audience was so dedicated to them make up to the tens everybody everybody in the audience looked like they could have been on the stage for god's sakes but we played with them a bunch and they were always they they didn't fear us and they didn't take advantage of us they were always great uh, and and very respectful of us uh, I told you the David Bowie story, Genesis, we were there with Peter Gabriel, I don't know who they were, never heard of him, 1973, 4, can't remember, Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, and I remember seeing um, Gabriel backstage, I don't know who he was, he had that shave thing in the front of his hair, he just kind of shaved a, a portion off of his hair, and he had that, that, um, that white face makeup with the dark stuff under his eyes, and the Ming the Merciless costume, and I think, what's this dude all about? And I remember, wow, they had a big production, and I watched like the first four songs. I thought, hey, these guys are pretty good. I should maybe check them out. But I had a party to go to, and my wife and I took off and didn't watch the whole show. Frank Zappa, here we go. Played with Frank Zappa at the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis. Okay, and we were we were still. Uh, Tommy Tommy wasn't in the band yet. But we were just trying to break in down there in St. Louis. <clears throat> we played uh, once b- before in front of, of Dr. John at the Ambassador Theater. Must have been the right place. Could have been the wrong time. Anyway, what were we doing in front of Dr. John? I'll never know. But we're playing Frank, in front of Frank Zappa, which is a very select audience trust me on this and we really kind of dug we used to play cheap thrills in the ca- you know on the cassette player in the car when we were driving around the country in the rent cars so we kind of dug zappa and for his own quirkiness and so we're at Kiel, but apparently nobody told frank nobody told frank that there was an opening act and was he pissed he was furious so um he decided this this is Kiel. It holds like about eight to 10,000 people. Big place. So he decided that he, he, he had to keep us on the bill because the promoter had made the deal, but he only gave us three microphones. Three microphones. A vocal mic for the three singers. None of the instruments got miked. Do you know what this sounds like? <laughs> you can't even hear the band. It sounds like a roaring din that's, that's occurring somewhere between Mars and Saturn. And so we played that whole show. And just people just heard the voices, and they were not happy. It the only two times we were ever booed in our life, this was the, this was the uh, first time it was at Kiel because people were I don't know if they're booing us or booing the fact that they couldn't hear us. Either way, it was a humiliation. That was my Frank Zappa story. And uh, uh, you know, needless to say, after that, I took cheap drills and threw it out the window. Anyway, another band we backed up. Are you ready? Bebop Deluxe. Who? That's what I said. But uh, I remember that time, Lady had just broke as a single. We were playing Lady. It was in New York, and the PA blew up. It blew up (laughs) right where we were playing, right when I was singing Lady. And then the people, that was the second time we were booed uh, because people, once again, were booing the fact that the PA wasn't working. So those are some of the stories. I got tons more. Let me see them as I go down the list. Any really good uh, Joe Cocker? We played that Joe Cocker tour when he had... um, when he was really in the throes of alcoholism, and he was standing on stage, and he was just, he was chugging fifths of uh, of Jack Daniels. And, um, <clears throat> and, and he would sing great as he was, and he'd go off in the middle of the song, and he would actually, uh, he, he would vomit on the side of the stage and come back and sing another song and drink and go off. And that, that really happened for most of the tour. And it was a shame because, God, I, I idolized Joe. I love Mad Dogs and Englishmen and uh, the Delta, what was that, the Delta Lady album, whatever that was. Moving on the country that I find you. I love that song. And it was only later that I, I realized it was Leon Russell who wrote a great song. Anyway, uh, let's see what else we have. oh one one last quick thing. Not all these, all uh, these, not all these situations were negative, but a lot of them really were. Like with Bachman-Turner, we played in Chicago with him at the stadium. And we were hometown boys, and we were just breaking, like I said. We were ready to be the Bachman-Turner, but they didn't know that. And we were we, we, the crowd went absolutely mental for us. It was our hometown. And when I was coming back off the stage... Um, Randy Bachman rolled up a piece of paper and a little ball and threw it at me It bounced off my shoulder. And I thought, but dude, really? <laughs> that was great. And one last thing like this, because listen, when you were an opening act in those days, if it, you could get screwed with... By, by by the um, By the headliner, easy and that 's why I was always you know a, a, a very respectful to gene and and, and and Paul and kiss because they didn 't treat people like that, but we played once the last story we were playing in Michigan someplace with Robin Trower, who was our manager 's best friend, and we did the same thing to Robin Trower that we had done to um, Bachman Turner and a lot of bands. We were really good, we should have been a headliner, just nobody knew about us and we had we, we had a certain lot of time, and don't you dare go over those times you never do anyway, we were going over so good that on our, on our on our encore and we still had time left, they threw the house lights on us. they did, and it was people were booing and we kept playing, and we got off the stage and that was one of the few times in my life both j y and I went into the dressing room backstage, and we trashed it literally I literally took a table that was filled. With all kinds of bottles, of, because in those days there were no plastic bottles, and, I, and fruit, and I just flipped it, and it just crashed everywhere. I'm not proud of myself, but I must say, I was mighty angry. Anyway, these are a couple stories from the road. A lot of these guys were lovely to be around and play, but some were jerks. Hey, this is life, isn't it? That's what I think. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this story. I've got more to tell if I when I go through this at another time. I might come up with a more. I knew I have stories about every single one of these bands, but I told you the ones that just stick out in my mind. Anyway, cheers out there, kids. Hope the universe spins in your direction. Enlightening? Perhaps. Entertaining? Always. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Come Sail Away with Dennis DeYoung. Get the next new episode Friday morning at 7 a.m. on this website.